started last week as I looked at the book of St. John. I love the book of St. John. I think one of my favorite books is Romans, and then ranking right there with it is St. John. And as we began to look at this wonderful book, uh, we noticed that there were seven miracles that are recorded in the book of St. John. By the way, there are seven I am's that are recorded. It's a very interesting study. And uh, the book of John centers around these seven miracles that took place. And so we encourage you, if you will, to study, read the book of St. John, and then uh, if you do not have an outline of the message today, we want you to have one so you can study this week concerning a very, very important miracle, and it was turning the water into wine. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand, Brother Stephen, make sure you get one. John chapter 2, this is found in John chapter 2, an exciting and very wonderful, wonderful miracle. Notice as we read, beginning with verse 1, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the reason it says Cana of Galilee is because there were two Canas. And so this specifically says it, was, it happened at Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Verse 2, now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? And this is something he stated, and it was so true, but yet God used this occasion. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to who? The servants. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews contained in 20 or 30 gallons. There were 30 gallons, usually 30 gallons in, this, in, in these water pots alone. And so that's 180 gallons of water, 180 gallons of water. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Notice that. They filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know, did not know where it came from. But notice what it says here. Here again it mentions the servants. But the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs. John used the word signs, not miracles. I, I think maybe he might have used miracle one time, but... If you read certain translations, you won't find the word miracle. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested what? His glory and his disciples believed in him. Father, add your blessings to the reading of your word. Speak to our hearts. And as we plant seed today, we ask that there would be much fruit in Christ's name. Read with me the introduction. 
in the gospel of John, the miracles are called signs. As you drive on the highways, you will see all kind of signs. One particular sign is painted red. The sign simply says, stop. It is a stop sign. You never think that this is a piece of metal with red and white painted on it. You simply read the sign, stop. So it is with the signs of the Gospel of John. You ask, what is the message of this sign of water in turning water into wine? The same way that when we get to an intersection and there is a stop sign there, the same way we look at that stop sign, we don't say, hey, there's metal there and it's painted red. No, we, we, we read the message on the sign. And that's what God wants us to do when it comes to the miracles, when it comes to the signs in the Bible. Not just in St. John, but in, in, in the entire Word. If we're not careful, now we get excited over miracles, don't we? And rightfully so. I mean, they excite us. Miracles are exciting. And if we're not careful, we focus on the miracle rather than on the message of the miracle. And John spends a lot of his writing explaining the miracle and the message that is behind the miracle. And what I want us to see today is the message behind turning water into wine. Notice number one, common folk enjoyed Jesus. In fact, they wanted Jesus to be there. They invited Jesus and his disciples to the wedding. Being with Jesus is not about being boring. You know, a lot of people fail or don't want to come to Christ because they think he will reign on their parade. Christ is not out to reign on your parade. He's not out to make you miserable. He's out to bless you and for you and I to enjoy life, enjoy the fruit of our labor. Jesus was a likable person. And we read where they hated him and they tried to kill him and then they crucified him and all of these things. But basically, Jesus was a likable person. And I think if Jesus Christ was a likable person, his disciples should be likable. I would ask you to do this, but I want ask your neighbor next to you, are you likable? Do people like you? Don't do it. Let me ask you personally, are you a likable person? Do you display the fruit of the Spirit, the love of Jesus Christ, kindness? I found out as I have served the Lord, some of the most honorary people are, are supposed to be Christians. God wants us to be likable. A relationship with Christ enlarges the pleasures of social life. You think you're having a good time in this world without Jesus. Try being in this world, enjoying this world with Jesus. It makes a big difference. Now, I'm not talking about drunkenness. I'm not talking about adultery. I'm not talking about compromise or coarseness. I am certainly not talking about obscenity. I'm talking about living for Jesus Christ, a life 
that is enjoyable where you and I can have not only joy but happiness. It's important. It's important that the church display a lot. You know, don't go around with a sad-looking face all the time. Don't think you've got to rain on somebody's parade. But God wants us to be a blessing to people. Jesus was a man of joy. We look at him and we look at him suffering and we look at him with all of the things that he went through. But John chapter 15 verse 11 says it this way. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, his joy, my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be half full. Did I read it wrong? Has she got it right? Oh, it's full. God wants you and your and my joy to be full. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to smile. He wants us to enjoy life. Jesus went to a wedding. Weddings back then lasted one week. And they had parties. And they enjoyed it. God wants you and I to enjoy life. Social life is the most promising sphere for religious usefulness. I love that statement. Someone says, well, we'll win people and we'll get them to church. Listen, the best place to win people is out there. While you're drinking your hot tea and your coffee and eating your bagel or whatever you might be doing, God wants you and I to reach them out there. And over a cup of hot tea is one of the best ways to win your lost neighbor, your lost friend to Jesus Christ. Jesus took this occasion, the occasion of a wedding, of a party, and he used it allowing the power of God to touch people's lives. It's important. Wine as we look at this, this story, wine represents joy in the Holy Spirit. You remember when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? What did the people think about them? What did they think? Did they think they'd been to a service? Did they think they were? No. Let's listen to what it says about it. John Acts chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. So they were all amazed. This is when the power of God fell on the day of Pentecost. Listen to what it says as they looked at the 120 or so that was in the upper room. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mock and said, They're full of new wine. They're drunk. You ever seen drunk people act out? Drunkness? These people, they were drunk. They were drinking wine. But it was the heavenly wine. They were drinking. These people are full of wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known and heed my words. These are not drunk as you suppose. He didn't say they weren't drunk. I mean, they were acting up. They were happy. They were speaking in tongues. They were glorifying God. They were having, I mean, just a great outburst of joy and and the mighty moving of the power of God. These are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only 9 o'clock in the morning. 
They haven't even opened the places to serve alcohol yet. Listen, it's important that we, you and I, drink of that new wine. Number two, transforming power of God. This is the supernatural at work. Jesus responded to his mother and said, woman, someone says, boy, he was disrespectful. That was respect back then, and that's what they said. It was madam. When he said woman, it was madam, what is that to do to me? My hour is not, I mean, I'm, I'm not out now to, to perform a miracle. Jesus, but he did this supernatural work, and here's what happened. There were jars there to fill with water, 30-gallon jars filled with water for the purification of the body as an act of worship and sanctification unto the Lord. It's, it, was, it happened under the law, the time of the purification, which God commanded Moses, and Moses gave the instructions. And here sat those six containers. And Jesus said, fill these containers with water. Now, the servants are the only ones, along with, I guess, the disciples or maybe even Mary, that knew what took place. He said, fill these six water pots. Jesus transforms empty religious forms into living faith. And, you know, you and I are vessels. And God wants us to fill our vessel with the new wine, which represents the Holy Spirit. Jesus, let me say it again, transforms empty religious forms into living faith. When you go to church, you should enjoy worshiping God. When you're driving down the highway, you should enjoy worshiping God. And you might want to cry a little bit. Now, keep your eyes open and watch the road. You say, Brother Don, you know we're going to do that. When we went to church when I was a little kid, we'd go to church and they'd get to shouting. They'd shout the whole time you were at church and they'd shout the whole time you were on the way home. And I was in the car with about five women and they all got to shouting and praising God and the driver got to shouting and praising God, took her hands off the steering wheel and closed her eyes. And I'm here sitting in the car. He said, Pastor, they, they, they shouldn't have done that. Well, maybe not, but I'll tell you what, I'm still here. We should enjoy the blessings of God. And it's okay to shout and praise God. Don't let the Saturday night crowd have a better time than the Sunday morning congregation. Write that down for me, if you will, Sister Carol. It's important that we enjoy the blessings of God. The six water pots represent the emptiness of Jewish religion in Jesus' time. I love this. We also are vessels. We pour the water of God's word in us. You just keep drinking the water of God's word and something happens. Somebody says, I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You just keep drinking on the water of God's Word. You keep reading God's Word and let it do something on the inside. You fall in love with Jesus and you start nudging up to Him and reading His Word and something is going to happen. Something good is going to happen. 
It's important. We're those vessels. Pour water into these pots. But he didn't say just pour a half of uh, a jar full. He said, fill it to the brim. How long has it been since your joy has been filled to the brim? How long has it run over? You see, it's the splash that blesses other people. We need to allow the Holy Spirit and the love of Jesus Christ and the joy of the Lord splash out of our lives onto others and change their lives. It's important. The water of the Word becomes the wine of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse her, the church, cleanse her with the washing of water by what? The Word. Get in the Word. Read the Word. Study the Word. Let the Word change your life. John chapter 7, verse 38. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will what? Flow. That water. Rivers of living water. If the church wants to change its culture, let the living water flow through it. Amen? If we want to change people around us, let the living water flow through us. And touch people's lives. It's God that does the work anyway. Of course he uses us as a vessel. But it's the Holy Spirit that certainly changes people's lives. Luke chapter 5 verse 37 and 38. And no one puts new wine into old wineskin. Or else the wine will burst the wineskin and be spilled. And the wineskin will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskin. And both are preserved. God, I want to see, receive new wine today. And I want this life. I want this body. I want my mind. I want my spirit. I want my soul to be in touch with you. Fill me with your new wine. And this body must be changed because it can't contain the Holy Spirit until it's changed. I hope you're following me. We need to see some people Change. The performing of this sign was evidencing of his ability to make all things new. I don't know how he changed that water to wine. Do you? I don't. I don't know how he took a nine-year-old boy many years ago at the altar in Clinton, North Carolina, and made him new. But it happened, and it's been joyous ever since. I don't know how he takes new people and changes them, but he does. Kurt Cameron. Some of you know that name, Kirk Cameron. After major success on growing pains, Kirk Cameron became a born-again Christian at the age of 17. After years of being an atheist, well, he would ask that things be removed from the script for his TV character that he felt went against his face. And once the show ended, he became engrossed in evangelism. Now, here's a movie star, very popular movie star, very good-looking young man that has his own television and his own sitcom, and they would give him a script, and he says, wow, this doesn't fit my, my, my faith, and he had it changed. Great witness for the Lord. He did, however, cause major... Uh, uh, I'm going to read this. Maybe I shouldn't. He, however, caused... Major controversy in 2012 when he went on the 
Piers Morgan show saying that homosexuality is unnatural, detrimental, and ultimately destructive to foundations of civilization. He received backlash from former Growing Pains castmates and quite a few other people. He never retreated. He never retreated. He never retreated from his standard. Thank God. Thank God for a man that will stand up and be counted. You see, if God can change the Apostle Paul, he can change you. You may be here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know that God can change me. I don't know that God can make me different. He can. He will. If God can change the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that had been married five times and lived the life that was not pleasing to God. If God could change her, he can change you. The comedian movie star Chris Tucker, some of you remember him. He played in the movie Rush, uh, Rush Hour. He got saved. I mean, I believe he's genuinely saved. He, he won't act in, in these Rush Hour uh, spinoffs and all the things. He's a preacher for the Lord, preacher of the gospel. If God can change these people, he can change you. As I said, if God changed the Apostle Paul, he can change you also. Some people change when they see the light. Others change only when they feel the heat. I pray God turn up the heat on some people because I want to see some change, don't you? And you pray for them and believe, God, turn up the heat. They're not changing when they see the light, so they need the heat turned up on them. Surplus wine. And here I want you to understand that God wants us to have that surplus wine. There is plenty. There is plenty. Jesus took 180 gallons of Jewish laws, the rituals of purification, and transformed them into 180 gallons of grace. I love that. I love to talk about grace. I mean, there's no end to grace. It's the bottomless pit that you try. You try to explain it. You can't explain the grace of God. It is a powerful, powerful quality that God gives when we certainly, certainly come to him. 180 gallons of guilt was transformed into 180 gallons of grace. Jesus transformed the old religion into a new religion. He'll take your and my life and he'll change them. From God's fullness of grace right up to the brim, we are all have received grace upon grace upon grace. John chapter 1 verse 16. Now I'm going to read from the Amplified, but you read what we have on the screen. For out of his fullness, the superabundance of, of his grace and truth, we have all received grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing. Favor upon favor and gift heaped upon heap. I'm talking about grace. I think John Newton got it right, don't you? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, 
but now I see. The message of transformation at Cana is not about making the bad good. I love this statement. But about making the good even better. Wine symbolizes the Holy Spirit, as we said a while ago. Jesus changes the law, which is good, to grace, which is better. The law was not bad. The law introduced to us ourselves. It showed us where we were wrong, but it took the divine grace of God to be ushered in through Jesus Christ to help me live the life that I should live according to the word of God. God wants to change us. And people don't understand it. They don't understand an alcoholic that comes to Jesus and all of a sudden they're changed. They don't understand that. Carol's dad, the pastor of this church, was an alcoholic. But one day God got a hold of him and changed him. And he became a mighty, powerful man of God. And you know of many. I've heard Brother Dan talk about his past and how that God got a hold of him and changed his life. In fact, most of all of us, in fact, all of us has been changed in some way. We can look back how ungodly, how, how dirty we were spiritually. And yet God changed our life. People don't understand it. They don't understand how people change. But it takes the supernatural power of the living God. Christ gives his best last. That's what the man said. You've saved the best wine to the last. Christ gives his best last. Let me tell you something. I love Jesus. I love his presence. Last Friday evening, we were here praying. Let me tell you, if you miss Friday evening prayer, you miss one of the greatest one hours, one hour that you'll, you'll have all week. I, I, I can't say how much it means. Last Friday evening, we were praying, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God and the power of God began to move. There was nobody shouting. There was nobody jumping benches and hanging from the chandeliers. But there was an anointing. And people began to weep. God moved in this place in such a powerful way. I encourage you to be at 7 o'clock. Take time to pray. He said, Brother Don, I can't pray an hour. We don't pray an hour. We might. Once in a while, pray an hour. We sit and soak up the presence and that new wine that God wants to give to us. It's wonderful. How does people change? Well, people look at people that are sinners, that are ungodly. Their life is such a mess. And they wonder what happened. Sort of like this little poem. T'was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folks, he cried, Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar? A dollar? Then two? Only two? Two dollars? And who'll make it three? Three dollars once. Three dollars twice going for three. 
but no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loosened strings, he played a melody pure and sweet as a caroling angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low said, what am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with a bow. A thousand dollars, and who'll make it two? Two thousand, and who'll make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going and gone, said he. The people cheered, but some of them cried. We do not quite understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply. The touch of the master's hand. Many a man with life out of tune, battered and scarred with sin, is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once and he's going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. That's what happened to you. That's what happened to me. That is, my friend, what happened to every believer that came to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something. How did Jesus change that water into wine? When did it change? Did it change as those servants poured it in? And as they poured the water in, it became wine. Or did he let them pour that water in and let it sit there for a second, maybe a minute or two? It could have been water when they took it out to the guest. But when they drunk it, it changed the wine. I don't know. And I don't know how he changes a person's life. I don't know exactly what takes place. But I know something. Listen to me. I know something takes place. When, when, when was I changed? I, I don't know. I know I nailed at an altar. I was only nine years old, but I felt like a criminal. I felt like I should have been behind bars. Sin is heavy. Sin is awful. Sin is a slave driver. I don't know exactly how it was done. I don't think anyone knows. It's a divine, sovereign act of God. The same act it took to change that water to wine, it took to change this old boy from a sinner to a believer. One that was on his way to hell. And yet Jesus Christ, with his master's hand, reached down and touched my life. 
He squeezed my heart so strong and so hard, water ran out my eyes. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. Mohammed couldn't change you like that. No person could change you like that. Mom and dad can't change you like that. Religion can't change you like that. A preacher can't change you like that. The only thing that can change you is a touch of the master's hand.